Welcome back to the After Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Francisco Delator. Co-host today, I have Joey Prohaska, and we're joined with Joe Bell from the Peanut Barrel up in East Lansing, Michigan. What's going on, Joe? Well, we've got a beautiful day here today. Uh, temperature's in the low 70s. We've got sunshine, or at least the amount of sunshine that the California fires will let us have. <laughs> and um, we're enjoying a nice day. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. You know, me and Joey are actually both from Michigan. So, uh, you know, we just I saw that you were from East Lansing, and I was like, yeah, you just got to get this guy on the show. So thanks for being a part of it. I was a little surprised at your call, but I'm pleased that we had a chance to talk. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, COVID is, uh, it's it's really affected the way that we did podcasts. We used to do them in person and usually like go around to like our, our local favorite breweries, distilleries and bars. But, uh, you know, we've we've now had the chance to expand our horizons a little bit and, you know, reach out to places we haven't had before. So uh, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Oh, yeah. I guess we'll get right into it. Um, How did you first get into the bar industry? Oh, my. Well, that was uh, a number of years ago. Um... Back in the early 70s, I was a student at Michigan State. They had a program called Hotel and Restaurant Management. After a little stint in the military, I finished my college at MSU uh, in that program. And towards the end of that program, um, it was important that we knew what we were getting into. So we started working in the industry. And uh, most of us at that time would either had come from uh, bar, the bar, restaurant, hotel industry, or were interested in it. And I was interested. And so I found a job locally and uh, I found that I'd made the right choice <laughs> uh, with uh, my college uh, uh, education and uh, ended up uh, working uh, in the industry as a result of that. Very nice. Um, I don't know many people that go to school for hospitality. Can you give us a little rundown on some of the courses you took? Oh boy, that was quite a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it might be a stretch. Um, Sorry. No, uh, no. I mean, the the courses, uh, you know, there's marketing and sales, there's housekeeping, you know, there is um, front of the house procedures, uh, there is re- restaurant and bar management to include the kinds of uh, bookkeeping and considerations that you would have for working with the numbers with regard to the business. Um, and then there's just the standard all around education that everybody gets at a university. The first couple of years are pretty similar for everybody. And I was a part of that. Right. Very nice. And uh, with that being said, um, so you said that you went to East, you went, you went to Michigan state up in East Lansing and uh, it seems you found a home there. Are you originally from Michigan? Uh, yes, I originally. I didn't. I didn't grow up too far from East Lansing. I, I grew up in a small town called Mason, which is about ten miles south. Before uh, my term in the military, I spent a couple of years at a local community college, and then uh, after leaving the military, went to Michigan State to finish my undergraduate. Right. Very nice. Very nice. So, how long have you been in operation? Well, this business has been open since November of 1973, uh, and I was there the day it opened. Um, so I guess uh, you'd have to say almost 50 years uh, that uh, I have been associated on and off with this particular business. There's been a name change. There's been a footprint change a couple of different times. The concept has basically stayed the same. 
Um, and um, so 50 years almost, it'll be 50 years next year. Very cool. And when did you uh, take over as the owner? My wife and I bought the business in 1980, July. Originally, if you want a little story behind it. Absolutely. Uh, the peanut barrel was originally opened in 73 as a Jack's or better restaurant. Jack's or better. Uh, uh, there was a, it was a small chain back in the early seventies. Most of those restaurants were in the, the real mid Midwest, uh, Kansas, Missouri, that area. Uh, but uh, one of the partners uh, was from Williamston, which is close to East Lansing as well. He wanted a place in East Lansing, so he uh, made arrangements with his partners to open the Jacks Are Better in 1973. Uh, his name is Gordon Smith. He and his wife, Carol, uh, lived uh, in Portland, Michigan. I've kind of lost track of them now. His background originally was Howard Johnson's, and he was the fellow that uh, – created the concept called the ground round, which was uh, all back in the eighties. I want to say seventies, maybe in eighties was a popular uh, offshoot from Howard Johnson's. It was hamburgers, uh, beer, a full bar, uh, peanuts. (laughs) Uh, And the concept that uh, ultimately ended up uh, as the peanut barrel is uh, came from that ground round concept that he created. The, Name changed to the peanut barrel in 1975. He had kind of a falling out with his partners. And um, so it was decided that uh, he would drop the name Jackson Better. And in 75, it became the peanut barrel. Peanut barrel name, sometimes uh, people will ask me, well, where did that name come from? And it came from, he had a cart with that he'd had in his barn out in Portland for oh, who knows how many years, uh, on the cart was a big barrel. <laughs> and he thought, well, we're selling peanuts, and I've got a barrel, and it's on a cart. I think I'm going to name this place the peanut barrel and bring that thing in there and s- stick it in the front of the house. And that's what he did. And so for a number of years, we did have that cart, but uh, it did kind of go by the wayside. Hence the name the peanut barrel. I mean, it makes sense, right? You got peanuts and you got some barrels. So yeah, put them together. <laughs> yep. That was it exactly. So Joe, being on Grand River in uh, Michigan State, East Lansing area, you guys get a lot of college students or is it a little bit of mix of college and older uh, people or what's your general uh, demographic? Our business might be a little unusual for the bar restaurant business in East Lansing in that we do uh, attract all ages. Um, It's a place where students, faculty, staff, townies all seem to want to gather together and they all seem to get along for the most part. Um, (laughs) And uh, we've been very lucky that that has allowed us to keep our sales kind of steady where a lot of college town businesses, especially bars and restaurants, when the students leave, they drop off quite a bit. Our stuff, mm-hmm. we stay pretty steady throughout the entire year. You might even say that when the students are gone, we do even better than when they're here. So we get a little bit of everybody. 
That's pretty unusual for a college town bar. You know, you'd expect that during, you know, football season, during the school year, that's when you're going to be at your height and your peaks. But it's really great to see that you can attract all demographics really and uh, continue to study business. We worked at it right from the very beginning. We also thought it was important to sell food right from the beginning. And uh, that has paid off. It has um, allowed us the opportunity to attract not just the nighttime drink business, but uh, the daytime uh, restaurant business and and evening restaurant business as well. So that's kind of, that's been a good deal for us. Uh, and uh, it kind of helps with uh, the differing crowd that we cater to. And Joe, speaking of that, what type of food do you guys offer at Peanut Barrel? Well, I guess you would call it standard pub food, standard bar food. Burgers, chickens, sandwiches, chili soup, salads, um, peanuts, <laughs> and uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. So our menu is a little bit unusual, but not terribly. Um, I might like to say that our food is a little uh, higher quality than what you might find in uh, many small bars and restaurants. We use all fresh product. Um, you know, we do an awful lot of prep on in the store, and uh, we uh, make sure that um, the products that we have to buy that we're using the best uh, available from the best vendors available. That all sounds great, Joe. If you were to recommend one uh, menu item from Peanut Barrel, what would it be? Well, there are two very popular items, so I'm going to give you two even though you want one. The first one is the rodeo burger, and that is a bacon cheeseburger, uh, which uh, has been a standby for us for years and years. The second one would be the olive burger, and that's kind of akin to uh, the Midwest. Some even say that the Lansing, Michigan area uh, has more olive burgers than anybody around, and I think that may be true because there's probably – 15 places in this area that sell olive burgers. And basically it's just olives in a sauce, um, our secret sauce, of course. And uh, it's very popular. Those two are the most popular burgers that we sell. And you can, of course, get those uh, on a chicken breast as well. So you can create your sandwich that way. Yeah, it all sounds really good. And Joey and I can eat. So uh, <laughs> when we come through, we're going to have to get a little bit of everything. What's a, what's a really good sandwich? Well, the best sandwich I think would be the tuna melt. Some people prefer the veggie and others prefer the turkey melt. Uh, and those are basically grilled sandwiches with the, uh, there's cheese on all of them and the cheese is melted. And then the, the, the other ingredients, either turkey, bacon, and cheese on a turkey melt or tuna on a tuna melt. And the veggie is just a combination of cheese and a lot of different vegetables. Those are good sandwiches. Yeah, it all sounds really good. Um, what kind of, I guess, what is your, uh, what's your drink selection to go along with the food? Do you guys bring in, you know, local like IPAs or you guys stick pretty standard? We have a dozen beers on tap and uh, we are both national brands and local. And we have a couple of craft beers that are not local. But uh, if you're from the Michigan area, you probably have a feel for uh, the Bells Brewery, and we do a fair amount of business with them. Um, we do business with Perrin. Uh, 
we do business with a brewery out of Sheboygan. We, there's a brand that they sell that we really like called Blood Orange. Um, uh, and then the uh, we'll sell something that's even close to macro. You might call it a macro um, um, fat tire. And then the, the standard uh, full domestics, I call them domestics, even though uh, one of them is brewed in Canada, that would be Labatt's, um, Miller Lite. Uh, there's a little brewery right down the road uh, called Old Nation, and they have a beer. It's kind of a kind of a dry hop New England style IPA called M43. That might be our second most uh, popular beer, uh, and that's just ten miles down the road. Yeah, I've had uh, I've had M43. It's quite good, so yeah. I could talk to that. <laughs> So you've been in business for a little while now. Um, what would you say is the biggest difference from when you originally started to you know 2020? Not all right, not specifically the year 2020, but uh, 2019. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 2020, you can't compare. Uh, 2019 would be a better comparison. Uh, when I first got in the business, um, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody smoked, and um, the bars were filled with smoke. And uh, one of the one of the things that you had to do was uh, to attract non-smokers. You had to have smoke eaters in your place. And probably I don't know how old you guys are, but you may or may not remember a time when that was the case in a lot of bars and restaurants. And then they went to you could have a smoking section, <clears throat> and that didn't really work <laughs> because the smoke would still drift into that section. But right, and then ultimately the state slowly but surely started going uh, non-smoking and uh, that happened in Michigan in 2009. So that made a big change that actually cut back our liquor and beer business and increased our food business. And as a result of that, families started coming in. We started seeing a lot more uh, larger groups uh, with children and uh, that kind of surprised us. And so that has been some of the changes that we've seen down through the years, there has also been different times of the day when people like to drink. And I don't know if that's just because I've gotten older and maybe some of my clientele is older, but I think that many of us are finding that the late night bar crowd is not as prevalent as it once was. And that uh, the afternoon, uh, what we might call the day drinker, those people are out a little bit more now than what they used to be. Uh, and I, I'm not exactly sure why that happened, but it did. And it may be just akin to our store. Uh, but I kind of have a feeling that it's kind of growing uh, with a lot of different places. Now, this year, it's even more prevalent because a lot of people are staying home. I'm noticing that a lot of my competitors are closing as early as 8 or 9 o'clock at night. They're just going, that's it. The day is over. Um, and that I find to be uh, quite a difference from when I first got in the business. Hey, nothing wrong with a little day drinking, all right? <laughs> I'm with you guys. Yes, sir. Uh, I mean, I, I think that that's... I think it's pretty standard across. Yeah. I've noticed in the past few years, at least since we've like finished up college, that people went from kind of going out at eight, nine to, you know, maybe two, three, four now, yeah. a little bit more often, even, even before Corona started, it seemed that, um, like you said, the day crowd has been becoming more prevalent in the past few years. 
I, I think that's the case. I agree with you guys. I think part of it too is people now have like now it's like all right, going out at eleven is is too late. And I don't know why that is. I mean, I'm a night owl personally, but a lot of people that are specifically that I hang out with and I know, um, they like to start going out around like six or seven. I don't know if it's just to get more drinking time in or what, <laughs> but yeah, I've noticed that as well. It may have to do with the responsibilities that they have the next day too. You know, mm-hmm. I have a feeling that in this day and age. Um, People, young people are a lot more serious than they were maybe 20, 30 years ago. And um, the, the requirements uh, and the productivity that is required of young people today is greater, perhaps, than what it was. And as a result, um, the late nights are not as easy to take as, uh, as the earlier nights. That's kind of part of my thinking anyway. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And uh, thank you for the the kind words about the younger generation. Most people um, that are older than us, me and, me and Joey, we're in our early 20s. Um, most people just think, you know, millennials or Generation Z, and they're just like, oh, they're, they're slackers and all this and that. So it's it's nice to have somebody actually say that we're more productive on the, on the flip coin there. The people that are working with me now, the young people that are working with me now, I think are some of the best I've ever had. Of course, there's always the exception, (laughs) but for the most part, I'm finding that they're really smart, that they really move quick and that they catch on. You know, it's just a nice, it's a nice bunch of people I'm working with. And they're about your age or younger. So being in East Lansing, are most of your uh, wait staff um, and people who bartend for you, are they college students or a little bit just graduated or what, what's your general uh, wait staff look like? We have a little bit of everything. Once again, you know, I think uh, right now my oldest server is 53, but I had two guys working for me uh, up until a few years ago that were in their 60s. One as a bartender, one as a server. Uh, right now, I would say that we have, we probably have 15 servers. 10 of them are of college age and five are older. Uh, topping out at uh, mid fifties, um, and my managers are in their thirties. So, the, if that tells you anything, well, it just sounds like the uh, the patrons that you attract, right? You got a nice little range of everything, so nothing wrong with that. No, it works pretty good. <laughs> and what what do you think of the the social media movement? How has that affected your business and what are your thoughts on it in general? Social media is, has become a big part of our business. I'm very fortunate that my wife is very tuned into social media and she's really good at it. I, if need be, can plod through it, but uh, I, I'm not as good at it as she is. And uh, we are finding that uh, we use it quite a bit. I mean, in the beginning, maybe not so much, but now we even use social media to inform our customers uh, what's going on, like in the events of if you're going to be closed for a day, or if you have a special event, or um, if something is going on that they really need to know about. Uh, a lot of people will go to social media looking for that information. They'll go to social media looking for hours. Um, one of the hard parts is there's so much different social media 
especially in the restaurant business, that it's kind of hard to keep all of them current. But um, it's a big deal, and uh, I don't think it's going away. <laughs> no, I don't think it's going away anytime soon, that's for sure. <laughs> No, it's really cool, though, that you were able to uh, somewhat adapt and figure out the new ways of connecting with your your clients and your patrons. Um, what did you guys do before social media? Well, we were we used all the standard uh, stuff. You know, you'd buy some newspaper ads. Um, you every now and then would have a small TV package. Um, we would use radio from time to time. We relied pretty heavily on word of mouth. You know, our advertising budget I would say is smaller than most and maybe even smaller now uh, that we're relying on social media. I mean, you can buy time uh, or uh, exposure on social media and we do some of that, but um, it was all pretty traditional advertising prior to what we do now. And we've dropped off considerably with that traditional. Mm -hmm. Very cool. What's a, what's a newspaper? Well, we have a couple of different newspapers. One of the most popular, they call it the newspaper for the rest of us. It's called the City Pulse. And um, we have used them in the past. We're kind of avoiding them right now, maybe because of COVID. But we also have the Lansing State Journal. We have the college newspaper called the State News. Um, um, we've used them. So there, there are three of them. Uh, maybe four. There's another newspaper called the Town Courier. Um, and we've used all four of them at one time or another, mostly City Pulse in the recent years would be the, the publication that we've used. Very cool. So can you run us through a, a game day at MSU? Oh, wow. Well, is it a noon game or a 3.30 game? Oh, well, both. I, I'd like to. <laughs> Curious, because I've I've came to a few games actually at MSU, and it's pretty. Uh, the whole city's pretty packed, especially around you know Grand River and the stadium, and all throughout that area. Well, game days are crazy, um, and the longer you've been in town, probably the crazier it's going to be, because after a while, people just know who you are, and they know they they know what to expect, they know what your hours are going to be. I mean, some people will still call looking for hours, but our our game day, let's say it's a 12 noon game. It'll start at 6 a.m. for uh, our opening cooks, 7 a.m. for our opening bartenders. We try to get open a little earlier. Uh, it's kind of hard because we on game day, we like to run uh, six hour shifts instead of a full eight. Some bars will even run people that make them work doubles because they don't have any day business. So they don't have anybody to work days, so they have to ask their help to work doubles. But so we'll run three six-hour shifts if it's a twelve noon game, and um, even at that, you wear people out. It's just so busy and so intense. We'll open at nine a.m. and we'll be full at nine ten, and it'll stay that way. Oh, on a twelve noon game, it'll stay that way till about eleven or twelve o'clock at night, then it'll start falling off. Uh, okay. 3.30 game, you open a little later, 10 or 11, and your business runs about the same thing. You don't you don't get full right at the very beginning of that uh, game day, but maybe within an hour, you'll be full. And that goes until maybe 1 a.m. Uh, because of the later game. We like the later games because you get a lunch hour and a dinner hour. 
Um, so you get two shots at uh, the food business. Um, the earlier games, you know, you can see hamburgers on the grill at nine ten in the morning, and and the reason for that is sometimes people will travel three four hours, so they'll be up at three in the morning, you know, and they'll be on the road at four, and you know maybe they'll be in town by eight, and they'll be in your place by nine. They're hungry, <laughs> <laughs> and so you feed them hamburgers at nine in the morning, and that always seems a little odd, but what the heck, you know. Game days are a lot of fun, and they're also a lot of work. Right. What about like a 7 p.m. game? 7 p.m. games are the hardest, uh, mostly because uh, people have all day to get liquored up. And, <laughs> and you know how that goes. Um, yes, we do. <laughs> 90% of the people that do are, you know, they can, they're well-behaved. They control uh, how they act. Um, you know, okay, so they get a buzz on, they go to the stadium, they have a great time. 10% of them people are just, you know, they're a mess. And those are the ones you have to take care of. Um, but those are very, very busy days. And, you know, for us in Michigan, we typically don't get night games later in the season because it's colder. Uh, so we'll get them earlier in the season. So we'll have our patio will be hopping as well. And, uh, it's like um, those are those are very busy days. Yeah, I was going to say, you, for like a 7 p.m. game, at least here and when I went to Michigan State as well, it's like you start at, you know, I don't know, 11 a.m. noon, and then you end at whenever you end. <laughs> well, some people will get started. They'll kind of get something going, and maybe they'll uh, go home or go somewhere comfortable and maybe get a short nap and then start up again just before the game. I've seen yep. that done, um, and more power to them. Maybe not a bad idea at times, but uh, yeah, you but you can go all day if you want. You know, at my age, that's not quite uh, it's not quite my cup of tea anymore. But uh, getting those long balls is a little harder. Still right. fun on game day though, if I'm given the chance. So, Joe, you had mentioned that you went to Michigan State in the '70s. How mm-hmm. was the atmosphere uh, different back then, and how has it changed since the '70s up until now? Oh, my. Well, I think, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I I think students are a lot more serious. I mean, it's, it's not that people back in the 70s weren't serious. They were, you know, our generation kind of, um, I suppose we were considered rebellious at some point in time, but most of us turned out like our parents anyway. <laughs> the people that come to school now you know, Michigan State at one time really had a party school atmosphere and reputation. <clears throat> a lot of couch burning. Um, <laughs> a lot of running around at night in large groups, um, especially if, uh, big uh, sporting events. So, and that's kind of fallen off considerably. Uh, and I think part of that is that it's harder. I believe that students have to have a greater uh a better grade point average to get into Michigan State now. And so uh, they have to be prepared. Yeah, I I, I just think that, you know, I mean, kids are always going to be kids. I mean, like right now we've got issues. Um, The local health department has uh, 20-some-odd fraternity and sorority houses quarantined and 11 of the large um, 
co-ops quarantined as a result of COVID. And uh, there was a maybe a little bit too much partying going on. Uh, and uh, they started to see a spike in COVID cases. And so she literally came down hard and uh, quarantined uh, all these houses, uh, posted uh, uh, notices on their doors and said, you cannot have any guests. You got to stay in your house um, except for medical, food, uh, and work. And so uh, this is our second day with that. And uh, we are seeing uh, a lot less activity out on the street. So I guess it's not perfect, but uh, this is an unusual time. Yeah, the the same thing kind of happened here in Toledo our first uh, month on campus. Um, a lot of the students and whatnot were just out often and huge spikes in COVID. And Toledo's only, what, a half to a third of the size of MSU. Right. So I could only imagine at a campus where there's 50,000 plus students, uh, the how fast COVID could spread. Well, um, the university uh, did not invite students to live on campus this year, at least for the first semester. Now, there are a couple thousand kids that are on campus. They're ones that had no other choice. They were either international students or uh, they were out of state and really had no place to stay. And so they did put a couple thousand uh, people into the dorms. Normally, the dorms would house 12,500, so we're short 10,000 there. But a lot of people went right to the landlords in town and snapped up whatever was left to rent. And so the city itself is still pretty full of people, just nobody. But the campus is just kind of ghostly because the faculty and staff are all working from home. and. probably similar to Toledo, I would think. Yeah, most uh, most classes are remote. I know a few like specialized programs, like, you know, for an example, respiratory therapy or something where mm-hmm. there is only 20 people in a program and everybody is in the same class together. Um, some of those classes are still on campus, but other than those uh, specific specialized programs, everything's remote. Yeah, same thing here. I think the, the med school here and the law school here, they're allowed to meet. Uh, but for the most part, it's all virtual. Some people happy, some people not. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You can't never make everybody happy, though. That's right, especially in this situation. Yep. <laughs> I'm just glad that, you know, my college days are behind me at this point because it would be just terrible to be, you know, a freshman. Or a and, senior. Or a senior, right? Because <laughs> you're, either, you're either entering college and you're like, oh, let's go have a good time, party, you know, hit the books, whatever. Yeah. And have this whole new experience away from home, and then you're stuck doing just online classes, which I would imagine you're still at home with your parents. Well, some of them are. Some of the some of them did come up, and they and they rented apartments. Um, so, but there's not enough apartments to handle the whole crew. So there, a lot of a lot of people stayed home, and some didn't. But it, it's uh, I don't blame you. You know, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want that. I've got a couple of kids that work for me that are freshmen. And they had leases, uh, not leases, they had uh, arrangements with the university. And so they, of course, they got their money back for their their housing money back, but they had to go out and find a place to live because they weren't going to go back home. So, you know, in some cases, parents say, yeah, why don't you just stay there in East Lansing? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
I'm sure they're not disappointed with that. No, I think everybody's uh, happy with the arrangements that they've made, at least most of them. Mm-hmm. What would you say is your favorite part about owning a bar? I think the fact that uh, you can have a run of days that are all the same, and then all of a sudden you can have a run of days and every day is different, and it, and it creates unique challenges uh, because it is different. And right now we're like we're in a string of not – just maybe six or eight or 10 days, we're in a string of maybe three months of every day being different. And so that makes it more challenging because you're dealing with things that you never thought you would deal with. And it's uh, this late in my career, uh, because I'm kind of approaching retirement, um, it is uh, pretty unusual to see me doing some of the things that I'm doing I never would have dreamt that I am doing some of the things I'm doing. Like um, typically our patio does not require heaters. This year we decided with all the outdoor eating that we would buy some heaters and we did and we put them out there. And now suddenly I'm in the business of, of uh, carting propane around. <laughs> and hooking it up to these heaters and trying to get that, uh, trying to get that thing. Uh, and so I never would have thought that would have been something I would do. So, yep. Yep. It's just the fact that uh, there can be change and uh, you're going to be a part of it. And that's kind of fun. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at least you're staying innovative and, you know, at least trying to accommodate and make the the experience for all your guests as pleasurable as possible. Yeah, we're trying to make the uh, outdoor season last as long as we can. So far, so good. Beautiful day today, though. Not, not much of a worry. Yep. Fall fall time's always the best. It's just sad that there's not really any, you know, Big Ten football going on. Yeah, football weekends are uh, typically, uh, you know, we count on them. We rely on them uh, because sometimes in the winter you're – you drop off a little sales-wise. And so we're not exactly sure what to expect, but we know that that uh, there's probably not going to be any football. And if there is football, it's going to be at an indoor stadium. You know, my guess is they'll go to Detroit, and one week Michigan will play there, one week uh, Michigan State will play there kind of a home and away thing Mm -hmm. um, because I don't think there'll be an awful lot of outdoor games. There might be, there might be, you know, hard to say. And that's even if they actually do decide to play, which uh, nobody's decided yet. I guess that's the decision comes in the next couple of days. Yeah. I I also heard that within this week is really the last week where they're going to give the schools the opportunity to actually choose like final 100% whether they're going to play or not. Yeah. And I was really looking forward to a Michigan Ohio state game this year. <laughs> Michigan finally going to win. Well, sure. A couple of Ohio boys. I would too. <laughs> uh, I'm actually uh, a Michigan fan and a lot of people here are Ohio state fans. And a lot of my friends from home are Michigan state. So you really get a little bit of everything. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh um, that's the best place to be, maybe right there in Toledo. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, you definitely get a good mix of everything. But the worst part about being in Ohio in general has got to be the Browns fans. Oh, <laughs> my. Well, can't be any worse than being a Lions fan. Holy cow. Oh, did you did you uh, watch that game this weekend? Yes, I did. It was – I w- would like to say I'm surprised, but <laughs> the Lions. So. <laughs> it is the Lions. It's like I'm talking, I was sitting with my wife, and I'm going, oh, no. They were up like at least 10. I thought, how many times have I seen this happen? <laughs> you know, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, now they're up three and you're going, it's over. They're going to lose. <laughs> and they did. Yep. And, oh, well, but Stafford, you know, at the end of, after the, at the end of the game, Stafford's still upbeat. You know, you got to give that guy credit. He's played on a lot of losing teams and he's a pretty darn good quarterback. But gee whiz. I don't know how you can stay upbeat. I guess probably he, gets paid enough to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's gotta be it. <laughs> yeah. But for, yeah, anyone that's listening, we're talking about week one lions against the Chicago bears. Uh, the lions were up, I believe 23 to seven going into the fourth quarter and just somehow threw it away. Like it just amazes me. Like lions fans, we know we're not going to have like a flawless <laughs> record. We know we're going to lose games, but the way in which we lose these games just astounds me every single time, every single year, every single game, every single year. It's like, we, same with Michigan. I was talking to Frankie about this before the podcast. Michigan, Michigan State, whatever, uh, the Lions, they just all find a way to lose their games. I don't know how they do it, but they find a way to lose. <laughs> really important ones. Yeah. yeah or they, for Michigan State, though, you know, you'll drop a game to somebody that's one and eight. You go, what? <laughs> how did that happen? And then turn right around the next week and beat somebody really good. Yep. That would be a Spartan way to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Wolverine way to do it would be to lose to the bad team and then lose to the good team as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That's funny. It was just painful sometimes. Jesus. Sorry for sorry getting off on a, on a rant there. <laughs> no, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to throw in a little bit of football talk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so over the years, what would you say is the most important lesson you've learned in the hospitality industry? Uh, I think it's important to be consistent. If you're really, really good one day and really, really awful the next, that's a, that's a little bit hard for your clientele to swallow. And so mm-hmm. the key, I think, is to, is to get, get your level as high as you're able to get it and then try to maintain it. That's, uh, sometimes that try to maintain it thing can be pretty challenging. Uh, because you're not a whole lot different than others in that you have good days and bad. You have uh, streaks of when you're really motivated and maybe streaks when you're not. But uh, trying to keep your store consistently at a at a high level, that's uh, that's important. For sure. And you touched on it earlier. I mean, you have people that are coming out of state, people that are living, you know, in the Upper Peninsula, as an example, but people that travel all from around Michigan in the Midwest. And if they stop by your place one week and it's phenomenal, then great, you might have a customer for life. But if they stop by an establishment and they have a poor experience, then you might never see them again. So I didn't get it on that. Absolutely true. What would you say is your least favorite part about operating a bar and restaurant? I mean, some people like to say that you'll be married to your business. And to a degree, that's true. Uh, it is hard to, to find periods when you can uh, get away from the store. Uh, not that you can't, uh, but maybe 
I think most of us in the business will take three, four day uh, trips. You know, it's just like I tried to go away for a week uh, last week and it ended up being four days. It's uh, it's a little bit hard to to plan uh, long term stuff away from your business, and uh, that can be a little bit uh, that can be a little bit bad. It sure makes the four days that you get a lot of fun. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, that probably goes for any person that's owning their own business, regardless of of industry or just being an entrepreneur in general. It's that you have to really be committed to the lifestyle in order to, I mean, be successful. Really. Yeah, you do. It's like, you know, most of us that own our own store will um, will be there every day. Sometimes not for long periods. Sometimes maybe it's just an hour or two. Maybe sometimes you just you just walk through. But then there are other times when you'll walk into your store and you think you're going to be there a half hour, and four hours later, you're half you're only halfway through your workday. And it was a, always a bunch of stuff that you never thought that you'd be doing that day. But, and that happens a lot. Well, not a lot. That happens, I should say. And if you weren't operating a bar, what do you think you'd be doing? Oh, my. Huh. Hmm. Never thought about that. <laughs> we, we get that a lot. We always ask this question. And some people, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, my first five to ten years, I did this. And I'd still be doing that. Or maybe they say a hobby. And then some people are like, I've owned a bar since I've been 14. Like, what, what am I going to do? Yeah. No, I think I, I fall into that category. Um, <laughs> I mean, not 14, but, <laughs> but still, uh, you do, uh, when you own a small business, you have a tendency not to have as many hobbies as others. And so your work experience is what it is i mean i'm sure i could find other things to do um and and i probably wouldn't take me too long i just don't know what they are and <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to experience that first but uh, that's a good question that i don't have a good answer for <laughs> that's all right i mean like i said half people we get on the show they they've been in the, the industry their entire life and other people have had you know previous careers so um yeah, it's it's definitely not the easiest question to answer. <laughs> My previous career was I was a pneumatic technician at Sears Roebuck. And that's wow. that's a nice way of saying I was a tire buster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds professional though. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Did you do that while you were in college? Yeah. Mm-hmm. First couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh that was a good that was a good job. Yeah. I like that job. Back in those days, I got paid four bucks an hour, and it was a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you talked about how people nowadays are taking school maybe a bit more seriously. I mean, you got to think that's got to be the price of tuition itself is playing a factor in that, right? I mean, absolutely, sure. Yeah, you can't just take out you know a forty thousand dollar loan and you know waste the money. I mean, I know some people that have in the past. And, yeah, uh, yeah, I think but, they all have. Yeah, you know, it really is a lot of, of betting on yourself and assuming the risk there. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and I, I don't think about that as often as I should, but th- there is a lot of money involved. And when I was a kid, it was, you know, um, you could get uh, 17 credits at Michigan State for 110 bucks. Wow. 
I don't I don't know what is it about two hundred and fifty a credit now or I don't I don't even think I could call the school for a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your phone bill's greater than that. Yeah, no, it's true. That's true. That's uh, those were the prices back in those days. Uh, I think the education was still pretty good, but pretty amazing what's happened. You know, there's a, a lot of been a lot of uh, inflation in the cost of college. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know better than me. Cause you're just getting, you just got done. Yeah. Yeah. If you got to borrow any money, holy cow, that's scary. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's all it's like, Oh God, there's a car payment or more. Yeah. That, that's what I was going to say. Even working, you know, I worked full time a decent amount of my college and still had to take a pretty good chunk of change out for loans, even with working. Yeah. And that's full time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You said it was like 150 would you say per credit hour? No, no. 17 credits for 110 bucks. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't think I could buy a book for a hundred dollars. No, you can't. It's so serious. Yeah. Like I, cause I'm in you my, MBA. when us old guys tell these stories, I know it's. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I love it. I, I like having a new perspective, but um, I'm in my MBA program right now. It's all online. And uh, the book for one of my classes was $112. One, one, and, two. Yeah. And that's for an online course where you're not even seeing the professor, you know, in person. The book itself is all digital. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not paper bound or anything like that. So that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the only way you're gonna get it though, I guess. Yep. I I guess. But yeah, no, it's it's crazy the uh inflation around school. And also you gotta think too, like how with how big sports have gotten, specifically college sports. I mean, Joe, you probably know this, but mm-hmm. what what is like the average or the like annual mm-hmm. revenue? For college sports. I mean, it's got to be like billions, right? Oh, for like, you're talking about the NCAA in general? Yeah. Uh, I want to say just college football is like $5 billion, yeah. somewhere around there. I, so it's insane to see the inflation in that as well. I um, I do not have that answer, <laughs> but I know that uh, there's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, we also have a great basketball program here. Um, and hockey's coming back. so. The winter sports are quite good. Um, uh, women's basketball uh, continues to improve, and so we also have we have the arts here at Michigan State. A place called the Wharton Center, and another place called the Auditorium, and of course the Breslin Center will entertain lots of uh, big time bands. Um, Wharton Center does Broadway productions, and so. We got all kinds of really great stuff that help people in my business uh, stay afloat. Now, right now, uh, we're not getting any of that, but I suspect that'll come back someday. Yeah, hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yep. So I don't think if we, I don't think we asked you, Joe. Um, you guys are currently open right now, right? We are open. Okay, seven days a week. Seven days a week. Yep, we open at 11 a.m. Uh, on the week night, Sunday through Thursday. We close uh, at 10, and Friday and Saturday we close at midnight. And those hours are reduced from where we were uh, pre-COVID. Um, not a lot, you know, a couple, an hour or two uh, each um, day, like it used to be 1 o'clock on the weekends. And uh, it would be midnight during the week. Uh, so we're, we're going, we're going, um, 
I've seen some of my competitors shorten their hours. Some, some of them drastically. I mean, like down to eight o'clock at night. And I'm going, wow, you know, I think McDonald's stays open later than that. (laughs) (laughs) Of course they do. But, you know, I'm, so I've been kind of surprised at how everybody has a little different approach to how they're trying to stay alive in this business, in this environment. Ours is, um, we kind of take a little bit more risk by staying open a little later but we are smaller, you know, we're only, we're less than a hundred seats. So we can run the business with fewer people and we can afford to take that risk. And it seems to be kind of paying off our, uh, our later in the day business um, is, has held up reasonably well. I mean, it's not great, but you know, it's okay. So it's worth staying open where some of the others have decided they're going to give up on it. Right. Yeah. Here in uh, Ohio, most places actually, they have to stop serving by 10 p.m. So most of them are just closing by 10 or even some places close by nine now. Are they? Yeah. A lot of the bars like campus bars will uh, stay open to 11, but for the most part, it's nine to 10. Yeah. Well, it's uh, I guess there's not as many people out as there were. Maybe people are partying at home. I, I, I'm assuming there's some of that going on. Um, smaller groups, that kind of thing. Um, I, I don't have an answer. All I know is, is that seems to be the direction that all of us are going, uh, is shorter hours, but we are open seven days a week. There are some stores that are closing certain days. We have some places in town where one day they'll be open the next day they won't. And you can't figure it out. And I'm going, why are they doing that? You know, either do it or don't do it. All you're doing is confusing the public. They're not going to know what you're doing, but that that I find unusual. Mm-hmm. And these are pretty good operators that are doing this too, which kind of surprises me. Kind yeah, that's either commit to it or don't, because I, I feel like if you're only open for like six to eight hours or whatever the the designated hours are, like I feel like it's almost just like a waste of bringing everyone in, you know, supplying all the food, operating all of the you know the foods, the grill electricity in general, I mean, you're better off just staying closed instead of just alternating. I think, yeah, either be open or be closed. And, you know, perhaps there are financial um, considerations for why these guys are doing this. I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it would make it any easier, though. I think I'd try to be as consistent as I could. That would be my philosophy. So I have two questions, Joe. One uh, do you, you've been in the industry a while. Do you know a lot of the um, other bar owners in the area? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, in East Lansing, because we were such a party town. Um, and I mean, it used to be, you could almost call downtown East Lansing at night, the wild, wild West. <laughs> it was nuts. I mean, you know, we had a lot of, we had a lot of bars, a lot of restaurants and, uh, the relationship with the police was horrible. The relationship with the city was bad. The relationship with the university was terrible. And so we decided uh, about 20 years ago that we would form a group of bar and restaurant owners and managers, called it the Responsible Hospitality Council. And basically, uh, we decided that we would all 
try to live by certain standards as to how we were going to operate our businesses and that we would try to present a unified front where we could improve the relations with the city and the university. Um, and down through the years, it's worked. Now, now I'm going to answer your question. We all meet once a month. And yeah, we all know each other. Uh, and we all are competitors. And we don't give out secrets. <laughs> but we do talk about things in general that we think are important to the industry. Uh, and, you know, there are social things, too. Afterwards, there's a there's a social hour where we'll get together and have a beer or a glass of wine or a cocktail or something like that. But I would say that we probably know each other as well as any group of bar and restaurant owners in a lot of places. That's good to hear. Um, and then going off of that, um, if there was, this might be hard since you guys are all so close, but if there was one or two other bars you could recommend in the East Lansing area, what would they be and why? Oh, places that I would like to go to? If if it wasn't uh, the Peanut Barrel. Yeah. I like Beggar's Banquet. Um, that is one of my favorites uh, in the downtown. And there is what I like to call our, our sister bar and restaurant. It's not. Um, it's a place called Crunchy's. They kind of hold down one side of town. We hold down the other. We don't, we aren't exactly the same, but we do run similar kind of businesses. And uh, the owner there and I are, um, uh, we go to each other's stores all the time. Um, and so I would say Crunchies and Beggars would be the two that I would recommend. Now, I am older. Um, I don't really need to go to the boogie bars. Some of them are not even open right now. Uh, Rick's, Riv, Harper's, um, Dublin just opened. Um, part of that is because you got to sell food in order to be open. Those places don't sell food. Mm -hmm. um, they can be open outside for no more than 125 people, but they're just choosing to lay low right now. But those aren't places that I would go. And I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying it's not my cup of tea, you know. Um, Understandable. Yeah. You guys might love them. I mean, they're, you know, it's like there's a lot of activity. They're high energy. Uh, there's lots of people, typically, not now, because you can't, can't do that. I mean, Harper's found that out last June when they tried to put a couple 150 people in their nightclub and, I don't know. I guess it ended up 180 folks got COVID uh, in one way or another. Nobody really got too sick that that I know of, but it caused quite a stir. And, and we were all surprised. I think Harper's was surprised. I think they didn't really – I don't think that they ever intended to cause anybody any harm. It just was, wow, what happened? And how did that happen? And boy, did we learn a lesson. And I think all of us did. We all learned a lesson about what we can and can't do. Right. When, yeah. When I was in East Lansing, I've been there a few times. Um, it's it's kind of hard to remember all the different bars and the places you go to because I remember checking my phone. Every time I went there, I had to have walked over 10 miles. It's just such a big city and you just want to go to all the places and, you know, maybe you go to your friend's dorm and then the stadium and then a bar and then, you know, wherever else. And it's like, it seems like every time you're there, it's pretty long walks. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's... 
uh, it is long walks. I mean, if you're going from the stadium to downtown, that's like 15 minutes, and I'm going to guess darn near a mile. Um, it's a pleasant walk, but it is a long one. Uh, and the dorms are all spread out. They're not all that close. Uh, our place is in the 500 block, uh, and we are about, I would say we are about three blocks from the main downtown area. It's just it's just giant compared to Toledo. I mean, everything here is pretty close to campus. Other than that, you're going to go to like downtown Toledo, which you're probably going to Uber or drive. Yeah, which is because Michigan State kind of has like the campus ingrained to the city where like we have our campus area here, but it's not where like Michigan State where there's 100 restaurants and bars within, you know, a half mile any which way of the university. It's a little bit more uh, uh, spread out in Toledo. Yeah, the the downtown area and the campus aren't like merged together, kind oh, of like yeah, yeah, like they are East Lansing or you know Ann Arbor. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, the campus here is a bit more isolated, isolated in the sense that it's pro- it's mostly you have your engineering campus and then you have like your main campus with all other facilities and buildings. And uh-huh. then on that, it's mostly I would say student housing. Yeah, I mean, student housing, and then there's probably what five bars on campus, yeah, but yeah. nowhere. Nothing insane. Yeah, (laughs) even like five is a stretch for like bars that you could go to any night of the week, really. Well, there's, uh, I don't know, there's probably about 20 of us in downtown East Lansing, I would think. I would count them lately. I think think we did count seats once and there was like 5,500 seats. Um, And on a football Saturday, they're all full. And in some cases, there'll be lines, um, depending on the time of day and that sort of thing. You can almost always count on the popular places that there'll be a wait to get in. Right. Yeah. I just wanted to go back to uh, the little council that you guys had started for all of the restaurant owners in the, in the Michigan state area. Sure. Um, that being said, so obviously they're competitors, but it, I feel like that helps tremendously to have some formality or some organization to it because it, it'd be better as a city that you guys represent your nightlife or your food industry as the best you can in order to obtain as many people that are going out. Because, I mean, bar crawling is certainly a thing where you can go from one restaurant to the next, as opposed to people just overlooking the MSU night scene, right? So um, I think that's a pretty good thing you guys have going there. The thing that makes it work and keeps everybody tolerant of each other and not necessarily the bar and restaurants tolerant of each other, but the city and the university is that they participate. We'll have, we have at least one and more often than not two or three representatives from the university at every meeting. We'll have somebody from the police department, both on campus and the city that'll be at every meeting. There's somebody from uh, the planning department, the, uh, the people that put together, uh, that make a lot of decisions on on uh, in the city of East Lansing, that group is represented. And then there are groups uh, that have issues with substance abuse and that kind of thing. We invite them, and, and you know, and they come. We all get along. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'm amazed that we can, but we do. And we get to see a perspective uh, that we might not ordinarily see because you can kind of get into a bubble um, as to what you think is happening. And you'll go to one of these meetings and you'll go, whoa, there's somebody that thinks a little differently than me about this. And 
Maybe I should give that some consideration. It works pretty well for us. We've had this group now for 20 years and um, it's still going strong. And I'm not saying that we don't discuss business as well because we do. And we'll talk about things like upcoming events. We'll talk about home football, home basketball. We'll talk about um, concerts, uh, festivals in the downtown area, how we're going to prepare for them and what we're going to do, that kind of thing. So maybe in the long run, it makes us all a little bit better at what we do. And Joe, I've kind of seen the same thing happen here in Toledo where the police department kind of works with like the bars and the university. And they all kind of work together just to make it, it's not like to necessarily enforce anything, but just make sure it's safer. You know, if there's a big party going on, there might be a cop or two sitting outside and it's not like they're going to go and, you know, drag people out of the party or uh, wait for people to come out, but it's just more of a safety thing, if anything. I think that's uh, that's an awful, awfully similar to what we've got going on here. And it's a, it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And you can still have fun. Of course, of oh, course, yeah. always. So, uh, yeah. Next one I got for you is: Is there a hangover recipe? And if so, what is it? Sleep. <laughs> Either that, or just get up and go. Um, you know, uh, and sometimes you can sleep sleep it off, uh, but for the most part, most of us can't. You know, if you if you've misbehaved a little, you you just kind of got to bite the bullet and get after it. Somebody once said to me, he says, if you're going to run with the dogs, you can't pee with the puppies. <laughs> and so I kind of live that uh, philosophy. I'm going to have to take that quote. <laughs> it's fine. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, but I, I understand sleep and a little bit of water and everything, because if you know you have something to do the next day and you go out, like you said, you have to wake up, bite the bullet and just get through your day. <laughs> you don't have to work, and uh, you just but you still have some important things to accomplish. I'm going to say a little hair of the dog would be just fine, and uh, I would uh, treat it with a, a spicy Bloody Mary. Uh, that would and and that would be my uh, my solution. Um, I don't do that often because usually I have to be productive in a different way the following day. I think the key is not to get a hangover, but oops. Yeah, and going off of that, um, do you guys serve Bloody Marys? And if not, where is the best place in town to get a Bloody Mary? We serve Bloodies. We think ours are awful good. Uh, we've kind of been experimenting with them lately, trying to kind of up our game a little so that we're not succeeding great. Uh, we don't have a lot of success with it, but we're kind of working at it a little bit at a time. Pre-COVID, we, were, we had put together a recipe for a Bloody Mary that we put on a specialty cocktail. Um, but uh, I think Beggar's Banquet has a great Bloody Mary as well. Um, I, I think you, some of the some of the more fine dining restaurants, I think, would be known for their Bloody Marys. Ours is pretty good, you know. Um, Bloody Marys get pretty wild these days. I, I've seen some, and I've had some. You know, they have lobsters, pickles, olives, um, shrimp. It's like some of them are just insane. <laughs> We were working with uh, olives, pickles, bacon, a little hunk of cheese. You know, we were we were there. We had it on the menu, and it was like, uh, you know, we had talked ourselves into doing it, and we did. Um, and then 
just as we were launching this whole cocktail menu, well, that's when COVID hit. So that came to a crashing halt. Now we are, uh, we have just reintroduced it, there, our cocktail menu, and it's uh, kind of moving a little bit slower, but it's a little bit difficult. Um, you can't put too much on a table right now. Uh, and the QR menus uh, work for us real well. But we, we chose not to do the QR menu with liquor or beer because it changes so often. And so we are using paper, um, but you can't really uh, use too much paper uh, because there's, you know, it's individual kind of things. But so uh, the cocktail menu with the Bloody Mary is uh, it's kind of on the back burner, still there, just on the back burner. Well said. So if I was to come to uh, East Lansing, what is your favorite hometown restaurant? Not necessarily a bar, just anywhere in general. Oh, my. Hmm. Well, um, I'm going to give you the name of a family restaurant. Um, it does have a bar, and, and uh, it's called Coral Gables. And it is as iconic a restaurant as you're going to have. Uh, in this area, they have been around, I'm going to guess, since Prohibition or a little after. And it is a family restaurant, uh, but it's storied and iconic in that it uh, used to be East Lansing was a dry town. Um, and this restaurant sits just outside the city limits. And at one time, it was a huge show bar along with being a restaurant. And so there are lots of stories from back in those days. Um, and nowadays it's not quite as exciting as what it used to be, but that would be the restaurant that I would want to send people to. But you also have to remember my age is playing into this as well. It may not be uh, something that you would enjoy. Um, we're, we're not too picky with our food and that restaurant sounds great. <laughs> and, uh, Going off that in some restaurants and places that have been around for a while, have you heard or do you have any ghost stories um, that you would like to tell us? Uh, what kind of stories? Uh, ghost stories. Ghost stories. <laughs> it's always a it's a question we like to ask because some, you know, some places that have been around for a while, they have some pretty, uh, pretty crazy stories. Well, um, I, I would think that. Uh, the one place that comes to mind for me would be El Azteco. Uh, it's a Mexican restaurant. They've been around, I think, about almost as long as the peanut brill has been around. And it used to be uh, a restaurant that was at a lower level, um, no windows, all dark. Um, it was uh, very popular, still is very popular. It's Nowadays, it's like, you know, it's up above ground, even above ground to the point where they have a rooftop rooftop cafe, which is pretty cool. But back in the day, they would be uh, downstairs underneath the, oh, an old building on MAC in East Lansing. And it was kind of a creepy place, but the food was so good. Everybody went there anyway. <laughs> they, uh, uh, they landlord for that place. Um, when their lease came due, tried to hit them hard um, 
with a huge increase. And the guy that owned it, uh, Art Dela Cruz, had saved his money and done quite well and said, oh, to heck with you guys. I'm just going to move my whole restaurant. So he did. He got out of the basement and he went to about a block and a half away uh, and, and uh, moved the restaurant over on Ann Street, which is uh, real. It's and it's real nice now. But the thing that everybody talked about back in the day was that the old Ellis Teco, when it was downstairs, you never knew who you'd be sitting next to. <laughs> and you never knew if it was going to be a person or if it would be a critter. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Where is one place that you've traveled to in the past that you would recommend for others? Where do I like to go? Yes. Um, I like to be entertained when I travel. And so I am fond of places that offer ready-made entertainment. I love Las Vegas. I love Key West, Florida. Uh, I love Fort Lauderdale. Um, when I'm in, when I travel in Michigan, I like Traverse city and I like Petoskey. Um, there's always something going on. You, you never lack to find something to keep you entertained. And so those would be the cities that I enjoy the most. Yeah, you can't really go wrong with any of those, especially Vegas. I mean, oh, <laughs> yeah, a little hard to get to Vegas now. Not quite sure what's going on there. They don't have any shows. And um, I was down to Firekeepers, which is a, one of the local. Casino. You've been there? Uh, yeah, once. Yeah. And it's, uh, they're doing the same thing all the rest of us are, you know, they're distancing and masking and that sort of thing. They're even a little bit rougher than we are. They'll, if you're sitting at a video poker bar there, you have to wear your mask all the time. And if you want to take a drink of your drink, you can remove your mask long enough to take a drink and then you got to put it back on. Nobody. Nobody complains. <laughs> at least yeah, like, I understand the mask thing, but you know, when you're at a casino or something, just trying to enjoy yourself, it can be a little, uh, I don't know if annoying is the word, but it just makes it not quite as enjoyable. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I mean, we all, we all believe that. That's, it's, you know, that's, it's like, I, I understand the importance. I also am frustrated by it, just like almost everybody I know. Yep. <laughs> You know, sometimes you'll forget it and, oh, my God, I forgot my mask. It's kind of yeah. like back when you forget your phone. <laughs> oh, yeah. shit, I got to go back home and get my phone. <laughs> yeah, I've done that so many times where I'll get in my car and I just like drive halfway to somewhere. I'll be like, oh, my God, I don't have a mask. I can't even go in and then just have to drive back. So I just hope I have like a shirt in my back or something to wrap around my face. <laughs> I just keep a mask in the car. Yeah, I've I've gotten to that point now where I have a pack of masks in my car. There's like 20 in a, in the package, so yeah, it should be good for a little while. You'll be good for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good for you. Oh, yeah, I, I learned my lesson finally after the fifth or sixth time. Oh God, you know, we all have, you know, and maybe we're not done learning. We'll see. There could be more surprises ahead. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. What would you recommend to anybody that is entering the industry? You know, it's a lot harder um, to buy now than it used to be. It's so expensive to buy. When I bought my first place, I bought it. I had $1,000 of my own money. And I was able to borrow 
a fair amount, and I could use some family money as long as I promised to pay it back. Um, but nowadays, it's so expensive to get in. Um, I don't know. I mean, you almost have to be well-financed, and banks typically don't want to loan people new to the industry money, so you've, you've got to have a connection there. Um, I don't know as if I could advise anybody other than there are important things that you need to do if you want to be in our business. I've seen a lot of people try to get into the bar and restaurant business that had no idea what they were getting into. They'd never worked in one. And it was just they 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 liked the excitement that they saw and they felt that it was just a really fun thing to do. And then they got in the business and they found out, oh my God, this could be an 18 hour day. <laughs> and, and there's no end in sight, you know, because you have those days. And, and they get so surprised by that. So it's like you need to know what you're getting into. And I think that's advice that one would give to anybody that gets into any business. And you need to figure out how to be well financed. And that is something that I have no idea how to tell people mm. or how to give them advice. That's uh, that's over my head. Yeah. I mean, it's a good answer nonetheless. I mean, you really can't, you know, go uh, zero to 100 on something if you don't know where the brakes are. Right. You don't know. You don't know the operations. You don't know how things work. It just seems a, a little ill-advised to jump into the restaurant industry if you have no prior knowledge. You really do need to understand what you're getting into um, because it can be very time-consuming. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's important that you know that because you could make a large investment and um, lose a lot of it, if not all of it, if you if you get going down the wrong path, I don't want to be a naysayer here. <laughs> I'm sounding a little dull, but um, it is important. I think that's important. Well said. And wrapping up the show now, what is one piece of uh, advice or like a life lesson that you would like to share with the guests or with the listeners? Oh, boy. Well, um, behave yourself and tell the truth. Um on the few occasions when I haven't been truthful, I've always regretted it. That's pretty good advice. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to coming up to East Lansing. Frankie and Joey, I've enjoyed chatting with you. If you're coming my way, give me a call. You got my number. And uh, I would be very happy to, to entertain you guys. A hundred percent. So any uh, wrapping this up, where can we find you on socials? And do you have any questions for us? Well, you'll find you'll find Facebook uh, peanutbarrel.com. Uh, you'll find us on Instagram at the peanut barrel, um, and uh, you can find us on the web peanutbarrel.com. And uh, all three of those places will send you right to where we are. And if you're coming down Grand River, we're right across from Berkey Hall. There's a brand new art museum there called the Broad, the Eli Broad Art Museum, and it looks like an aircraft carrier. It's just a beautiful stainless steel building that's kind of modern. <laughs> and uh, we're catty corner from that right on Grand River Avenue. Very perfect. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks. All right, After Hours Nation, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to stay updated, you can check out our site at afterhourscast.com. Don't forget to tune in next Tuesday morning for our next episode. After Hours Nation, stay thirsty, my friends.